Hey, it's great to be all with you today and um, on this Father's Day, and so hopefully uh, happy Father's Day to all the dads, grandfathers. Maybe some of you are a newer dad, so that's always fun to think about this first Father's Day with uh, your new baby or whatnot. Um, and so I hope this is a happy Father's Day for you uh, today. However, I, as I realize that, as I say that, there might be some of you that are here today and, you know, Father's Day has a different meaning. It's not as happy as maybe you would like it to be um, for whatever reason. Uh, maybe this is the first Father's Day uh, you're without dad. He's gone to be with the Lord. Um, I've lived through that uh, 36 years ago. Uh, that was my first time to go through that. Um, Maybe dad's uh, been absent. And so whatever that is for you today, I I just want to say, hey, I want to pause for a moment just to recognize that. Um, And maybe you're waiting to be a dad, and I lived with that for 10 years. Uh, So I just wanted to say that in the midst of this day that we think about dads, we celebrate men, um, and what that is for us. And I hope somehow, some way for today, it can be a happy day for you because we look into God's word. And so whatever this day means however you picture a dad um, or the man who became like a dad to you, uh, we want to focus on that. When I think about my dad, um, two thoughts, that main thoughts that come to my mind, one at home, one at church. At home, I just thought of, I always think back, you know, on a day like a Father's Day when your dad's been with the Lord for so long that you kind of go, think back for a moment about that. And I think about a sense of humor. Like when I couldn't get hot water to come out of the sink and he told me, here's what you do. Put your left leg in the sink and wait for a while. And I did. And sure enough, hot water came out until I saw one of my siblings go, hey, you didn't put your foot in the sink and you've got hot water. But dad's laughing all the way. The other thing I remember was church. And I remember sitting in church as a kid and seeing my dad serve communion. Um, and so I, I think about that, and then for whatever reason, my dad liked to run back to the car after church in his full suit and vest and tie, laughing all the way, and somehow in a suit, he always won when we got back to the car. So if you guessed on Father's Day, this message would be about fathers. Uh, you would be correct in that and be thinking the right way as I'm thinking. And if you were here with us on Mother's Day, I did a message entitled, God is Like a Mom. Well, today is kind of the sequel uh, for that, if you will. For today's message, it's entitled, God is like a dad. So you got it. You're tracking with me. Like on Mother's Day, the message wasn't so much about moms as our focus as much as it was about God. And that's going to be the same for today. Because as I said back then on Mother's Day, one of the metaphors that God uses in the Bible to help us have a better understanding of who he is, is a dad. It's that picture that he wants us to look at. And when we consider the characteristics, the specific uh, good qualities of a godly man, a godly dad, Scripture informs us that these same qualities, these same characteristics are to be found or are found in the very nature of God. And so when we think about that, several of these characteristics are found in a particular story about a dad. Most of us know this story as the the parable of the prodigal son. And we know that story. And we're going to look at that in a few moments today. But before we go there, as I have used this as a metaphor, this picture of God, of God being like a dad, we want to frame the picture. And the verse we want to use today to frame the picture so it's complete and not incomplete is found in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. And uh, I put it in your notes. It's up on the screen. It says this, how great is the love of the Father that he has lavished on us 
that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. I love that verse. I love the idea of this verse so much. There's three words that stand out to me. The, the word love, the word great, and the word lavish. Your translation you might have in your Bible might be bestowed. But love, you know, without love and grace of our Heavenly Father, we would never have a prayer of becoming his children if it wasn't for his love. You know, Satan offers no grace and no love. That's not in his nature. Uh, he knows about it, but that's not who he is. And let's not forget what our nature is. The Bible informs us that our nature is that we're sinners. We're evil. We seek no, nothing that is righteous in our own hearts. It is deceitfully wicked. I, I like to think of it this way. Uh, it's the nature of dogs to bark. It's the nature of fish to swim. It's the nature of birds to fly. And it's the nature of humans to sin. That's what we just do. That's our natural fallen state that we do. And yet, when we look at a verse like this, we're reminded of how much God loves us. Romans 5.8, God demonstrated his own love toward us in this. While we were yet what? Sinners. Christ died for us. So there's a love here that is great. That's the next word. Why is God's love so great? Because God has identified you and me as his children. Despite us being sinners, that's our nature. He says, I want you to be my child. I want you to be my son. I want you to be my daughter. It is a great love that God wants to give us. And think about who this is. This is God who created everything, who is omnipresent, who is omniscient, who is omnipotent, who is immutable, who is sovereign, who is king of kings and lord of lords. That's the God. That's the Father in heaven that goes, I love you. That just makes me just go, wow, I can think about that all the rest of my life, right? That God loves me like that. By grace alone, through faith alone in Christ Jesus, God's son, you are able to be God's son or God's daughter. The last word is lavished or bestowed. In the original language, it means to give or to give generously. I love that, that idea of giving generously. The word signifies an unearned gift. In other words, that we couldn't do anything to get it, that's God's grace. It's not by works. It's the means of salvation is through his grace bestowed upon us. And this word also is in a perfect tense in the original language, which indicates that this lavish gift is permanent. It doesn't disappear. It's abiding. And that it goes on forever. It's perfect. So what does John want us to understand here in this verse, as we are framing this picture of God this morning, of how he's like a dad, one is this. God's love is the greatest love you can ever have. There's a lot of other kind of loves out there, but the greatest love you could have is, a, is the love that God gives. Mindful of who we are, according to Romans 5.8, in that love. The second fact I think that John wants us to understand here is being a child of God is permanent. That it is abiding. That word lavished comes into play here. It's the ultimate loving relationship. So whatever Father's Day means for you, just know that we have a heavenly Father that gives us the greatest love we could ever have, and it's perfect, and it's abiding, it's permanent, and that that love is the ultimate relationship. Permanent. I thought of it as intellectual understanding. Like, I get that truth. 
And the idea of abiding means it's relational. I have a relational experience of knowing what that love is like as a child of God. So if we're to frame our picture of God being like a dad, 1 John 3, 1, in my mind, if I'm framing this picture of God, I'm going to use that frame. 1 John 3, 1, it works for me. We have a God who greatly loves us no matter our past, no matter our mistakes, no matter our sins. This is this great love that God has for us. So this question came to my mind in light of this. It's this. How would this kind of love God has for his children look when put to the test? How would this love play out when it's tested? Would this love still be lavished on us? Would, it still, would we still call it great? I think of it this way. Imagine a child knowing this kind of love, this intimate relationship, and then making the decision one day to go, I reject that completely. Imagine a child, this son saying to his dad, dad, I have something to say to you. Okay, what's that? Dad, I wish you were dead. I wish you wish, yes, I wish you were dead. Is this this still the kind of love we're looking at? Would, Would this fit? Does this work? Could we still use the frame of God's great love for this picture of a son who rejects his dad and wishes he were dead? I want to submit to you that, yes, we can. That's how great this love is that God has for his kids. In fact, it's the only kind of frame that would actually fit this picture of who God is and his love for us because this is our heavenly dad. And so the story that Jesus tells in Luke 15 that we all know about is usually known as the parable of the prodigal son. You're like, yes, I know that story. Well, today, and today on Father's Day, I want to retitle this famous story, and I want to retitle it this, the story or the parable of the loving father. Because it's really about what this dad does. So if you've got your Bible, I invite you to turn over to Luke chapter 15, if you're not there already. Luke chapter 15. Luke Chapter 15, where are you, Luke? Come out. There you go. Luke 15. Again, a story that we're very familiar with. But here's what I want to do. If you're there, look at verses 1 and 2. This sets up the context of what's going on in this chapter, this well-known chapter in Luke 15. Verse 1 and 2. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners... Okay, that's who's there. We're all drawing near to him. That's Jesus. Okay, so we got sinners. It's their nature to do that. We got tax collectors. They're all drawing near to Jesus. What's the problem? Verse two. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, this man, Jesus, receives sinners and eats with them. Some of your translations might have it. He welcomes them. And dines with them. This is a big problem for the leaders of the church of that day. That you would welcome sinners. You might have to be around them. But to welcome them and then to eat with them? Are you kidding me? Who are you, Jesus, to do that? And this sets up the tension 
that's going on here, which leads Jesus to answer it in three ways. Three stories, if you will. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and then lastly, the parable of the prodigal son, or as I'm saying it, the parable of the loving father. You see, this points to the truth of Luke 19.10. I put it up on the screen for you, which says this. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Sinners like us. That's why he came. The Pharisees and Sadducees don't get this. They have a tension. They have a problem with this. And so Jesus goes in to tell this story of how this has played out in life. And that's what he wants us to understand. And so this raises the question, how is God like a dad? And well, in this story, where God represents the Father, I want to offer three ways that God is like a dad. The first way is this. In this story where God represents the Father, God is like a dad, and then he gives us free will. He gives you and me free will. Look at verses 11 to 16 of Luke chapter 15. So here Jesus has shared two stories. Now goes the third one. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property or inheritance that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Now, the many, now many days later, or not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into the far country. And there he squandered his property, his money, his wealth, in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the paws that the pigs ate, but none, no one, zilch, nada, gave him anything to eat. God is like a dad in this story. He's the father. He's let out his son that represents us. And he gives us free will to go live how we want to live. As I look at this story, the Jewish custom stated that the younger son's share would have, of the estate would have been one-third. Which meant his older brother would have received more. As you can understand in most cultures, I don't know if it's all cultures, but I would assume it's almost all cultures that you don't receive an inheritance until the passing of your father. Makes sense, right? So to ask for the inheritance before your dad's death would be like you saying to your dad, I wish you were what? Dead. Wow. Okay. And what does the dad do? The dad gives him the free will to make this decision and to live with it, including the consequences that came along with it and the famine that happened. And the younger son liquidated his inheritance of the land. That means the, 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 the property. That meant if there was livestock, it meant if there was assets, whatever there was and gold or whatever that the dad had, it's all been given to him. And so in other words, there's no going back now. He's taken it all. And the request, based on his free will, was seen as grounds in this Jewish culture and Judaism was excommunication from the family. The son understood that. The father understood that. The culture understood that. And those listening, asking such a request and making such a, 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 a request that's there. 
And so when the famine strikes in verses 14, 15, and 16, the repercussions of his choices left him with what? Nothing. I love how you're following me. That's great. And so when that happens, it gets so bad. It gets so bad because there's no uh, welfare system. There's no social services that are available to him in this story and in this culture. He had to forsake his heritage, the Mosaic laws, the customs that he'd been raised with and understood with, and go serve and work with pigs. Now, as a kid growing up on a farm, I know what it's like to work with pigs. Great stories for another day. But this is where he is at this point, is the sun. So as I was processing this, the, the question that came to my mind is, how have you managed the free will your earthly dad has given you? As you think back on your life today, how have you managed that? What's that gone like for you? We've all had free will. How, how have you managed that? How are you managing it today? That's a, that's a thing that we have to process through as dads or as men who are over others. Uh, when I think about this, I think back to a story that I could take forever to tell, but I'll try and be brief. Seventh grade, my dad goes on a business trip. He's a sales engineer. And he took my stepmom with him. My mom had passed away before. He remarried a few years later. And so they're off away, and I'm on our farm, and I have a neighbor kid who's only a few years older than me who's staying with me. Do you know what the kind of free will that a teenage kid and a preteening kid can come up with when dad's gone? Oh, man, I was instructed not to have any friends over, but I had not one, not two, but three friends over because I wanted to be a very gracious, loving you know, friend and bring them over. There's much I could tell about the story, but let me just get to this point. One of my friends said, hey, Bill, I don't have a BB gun like you do. Could I use that? And I said, yeah, just don't shoot at the house. Okay, you can go out to the barn. You can go wherever you want. Just don't aim aim towards the house. I go in because I'm such a generous host to check on the TV dinners in the oven, and I hear this crackling sound. I'm thinking, man, I didn't set a fire. And I pull back the drapes, and the standard double-pane window, the stationary window, is all shattered. Yeah, that's how I felt. And the screen is holding it all together. At this point, I realized, man, my free will has got some problems. And when my dad sees this and comes home from this trip, I can't hide this. Yeah, we'll come back to the rest of that in a little bit. But how are you managing your free will that God, your heavenly dad, has given you up to today? Have you shot at something that you weren't supposed to shoot at? And now you're dealing with the repercussions of that. Where's that for you today? Where are you wrestling with it on a scale of 1 to 10? How are you using that? Is it, is it not so good? Is it great? Where is that for you today? I just want to say to dads, how generous are you in giving or ask? How generous are you giving your kids free will? The appropriate amount of free will that their age it matches with what they can handle. I'm wrestling with this myself as a dad. Is it a picture of God? Is that reflected in how I'm raising my kids? Oh, and then the other part, is it framed with love? Yeah, wrestle with that like I am. How else is God like a dad in this story where God represents the Father? God is like a dad, and he offers us unconditional forgiveness. Let's continue with the story and see how this plays out. 
But when he, that's the son, came to himself, or your translation might say came to his senses. In other words, kind of like he woke up and said, uh, I got to do something here. He said, how many of my father's hired uh, servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And so he arose, and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran and embraced him, and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He cuts him off right there. Remember before what the son was going to say about making a servant. And so what he says here, what we see here is, but the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and and shoes on his feet and and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let's eat and celebrate. For the son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found And they began to celebrate. This picture of a loving God, a dad, represented in the story is one who offers us unconditional forgiveness. It's interesting, verse 16 says, the younger son wanted to eat the carob pods, but the rabbis considered this to be in the worst case dire straits scenario. So he's tempted to, to go against the customs and to know what this meant. He doesn't consume any of them. He remains hungry. And so he's thinking, man, I'm going to starve to death. There's no place I can go to get something to eat in this culture. And in verse 18, the sin committed by the younger son, among others, was that he's probably realizing now, oh, I've broken that commandment that said, honor your father and mother. It's the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you. We see it again in Ephesians 6, 2. Same verse, idea, it's there. It's not going well for him. The thought process in verses 19 and 20 is, hey, maybe I can get some sort of work. It beats starving to death. Maybe I can get some sort of job. But the story has the unexpected, doesn't it? It has the unexpected. His father was moved with compassion for his son, with love, with forgiveness, And it was a breach of an elderly man to run after his son, particularly in public, especially in these circumstances. It was undignified. Everybody listening in this culture would have gone, the dad is running? Are you serious? That's so, that's not what you're supposed to do. And then the text says that the dad kissed him fervently. And this was an immediate sign in that culture of forgiveness. So you can imagine the son running. He has in his mind what he's going to say. And he gets to his dad. And he's all saying. And all of a sudden, his dad's just throwing kisses on him. And as those kisses are being planted, I have to make in my mind that he's going, I'm for, what, he's kissing me? Like, I'm forgiven? Unconditional for what I've done? Are you kidding me? 
So that's why we got to frame this picture of God as one that is great with love, that's lavished on us, that we should be called his children. And that is what we are, and that is what the Son is. See, the Son was not confused about the severity of the sins he committed, which is why he wanted to say, just make me a servant, just anything. I don't want to die starving to death. He understood that what his free will had done and the circumstance and the situation that he was in. Yet in verse 22, the story has another unexpected event happen. The father in this story stops his son mid-sentence because he'd already forgiven him. And through the robe, through the signature ring, or signet ring, the sandals, the fattened calf, what is that showing us? Sometimes when we do maybe forgiveness, offer forgiveness, well, come here and I'll forgive you. But I'm not letting the whole world know about this. Because they're going to judge me for what kind of dad are you to forgive a son who's done that? So this is a public display for everyone to see the forgiveness, the love that this dad has for his kid. It's amazing to see this. And so I thought, dads, how are you doing with unconditional forgiveness towards your kids? Oh, really? That's not always easy. I mean, I only have young kids. I can't imagine what it gets like when you get older and some of the decisions that they make. So, so back to that story, uh, I think there was a phone call and said, yeah, some things went, uh, the window cracked all of a sudden. What's going on there? Oh, well, you know, BB kind of got off target and uh, hit, the, hit the window. And, what? So dad comes home at the end of the trip. And like the son, I had prepared a speech in my mind. How am I going to pay for this? I could sell one of, my, one of my pigs. I could sell one of my cows. Um, I could go work in the strawberry field up the, up the road. Gosh, how am I going to do this? And what kind of discipline is going to be my BB gun? I'll probably never see it again. And I remember my dad got home, and I don't remember the details. It was so long ago. But what I do remember is my dad just kind of looking at everything and sussing it up. Kind of just like, okay, all right, okay. And he's like, well, have we learned anything from this? "Uh Uh-huh, I sure have. Never do that again. Okay. Well, we'll get the window fixed. Don't let your friends use your BB gun anymore. I don't remember much more than that. But that was my dad's way of saying, you're forgiven. And I knew the responsibility with that free will that he had given me to not let anyone. I mean, there's other stuff I let the kids do. We had farm equipment. Imagine if you want to drive. You're not supposed to let them do that either. But hey, I'm a really nice kid with no brains at that moment, right? He doesn't know about all that. Dads, when your children ask for forgiveness from you, you got it. It's a picture of us asking for forgiveness from our, from our Heavenly Father. Who knows what we've done and sees our immaturity and sees our free will. And like, that wasn't a good use of it, was it? No, it wasn't. <laughs> well, I still love you. And I forgive you. It's a picture of how God is like a dad. And this picture is framed by his great love for us. So I would just pull, pause for a moment and pull out here and just say, are you here today and that you need forgiveness from your heavenly father? 
I don't know if there's something that you've done with your earthly father or something there or whatever. I'm just speaking for you with your heavenly father. You see, this idea of the prodigal son for me is not so much that I go off for years at a time. I've thought of this story for me in my own personal application going, dude, you could be a prodigal for an hour in a given day. You could be a prodigal of your free will and going off and doing your own thing, not what God wants you to do, in a conversation with somebody and how I'm driving on the freeway, how I respond to somebody who treats me unfairly. Have you been there with that one? That's where it gets to me. I don't believe in by God's grace that I'm going to go off and do something stupid and walk away from Jesus. I hope I don't. I don't think I will, but I can totally see myself going in a given day, given moment, given temptation and going, I'm running and doing my own thing for a while. I'll come back because I know I've got unconditional forgiveness from my Heavenly Father. Have you ever used that one and pulled that out? Okay, so now we're getting uncomfortable. I get that. I'm just trying to say this is where this, we have to wrestle with this. And we have a God who comes to you today and says, whatever you've done, He's the God who comes as a father and says, I see you. I run after you when you are, have a heart of repentance, which is the son does. And he embraces you and says, I love you and I forgive you. So you have to make the choice if you're here today and you're sinning your life, whether or not you're going to run back to your heavenly dad. Or live and dilly-dally, as I like to tell my kids, in something that's less than what you were meant to live for. Process that. Last way of how God is like a dad in this story where God represents the father. God is like a dad and he seeks our fellowship. Not only does he seek a relationship, he seeks to commune, to be with us, to be in fellowship, to be in relationship with us. And we see this played out here. In the last few verses of this great story here, Verses 25 to 32. Let me just take a moment before they read these. If you have your Bible open, go back up to verses 1. Actually, go to verse 2. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and the sons with them. This last part here, this picture of seeking our fellowship, this is where the Pharisees and the scribes and the teachers of the law go, oh, he's talking to us. Here we go. Verse 15 or verse 25. Now his older son was in the field and he came, this represents the Pharisees, and he came and drew near to the house and he heard the music and the dancing and he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And the servant said to him, your brother, your younger brother has come home and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received or he has welcomed him back safe and sound. But the, he was angry. The older brother was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him or pleaded with him, it might be in your translation. But he answered his dad, look, these many years I have served you and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, notice he doesn't say this brother of mine. He's excommunicated from the family according to the culture of that day. But when this son of yours, 
who has devoured your property with what? Prostitutes. Oh, that's what he spent his money on. You killed the fattened calf for him? Are you kidding me? Verse 31, and he said to him, the father's son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So you have this picture of God being like a dad as he seeks our fellowship. He seeks our fellowship. The older son would have most likely still been upset. This younger brother, right? I've been there with my older brothers. And now this. Imagine the hatred he felt toward his younger brother. He wanted nothing to do with him. No fellowship at all. He didn't seek that fellowship. In verse 28, it says, The father pleaded with him or entreated with him. The Greek implies that he did this over and over and over and over again, not just once. He made an effort here, repeatedly. The older son didn't care. The older son wouldn't listen. In other words, he looked at this and said, Dad, how dare you? Look again back to verse 2. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, How dare you? Right? Welcome tax collectors and sinners. How dare you do that? That's not what you're supposed to do. And so the father reminds him, his older son, of the relationship. That, hey, he's my son. Remember, the fellowship is permanent. It's abiding. It lasts forever. Moreover, the younger brother was still the father's son. The father longed for that renewed fellowship. And this is where the Pharisees and the scribes would have rejected renewed fellowship with a sinner. That just doesn't, doesn't go how it works in their view and what they taught, which is why there was such a tension between Christ and the Pharisees. This is just one example of that. The question is, uh, to think about, have you ever struggled with sibling jealousy? <laughs> you ever wrestled with that if you have siblings? Uh, I think I have. You know what I think I've wrestled with at times? It is they got more time with dad than I did. Because I was 14, 15 when my dad died. And I'm thinking, you guys are 6 years and 15 years older. God, how come I didn't get that? I appreciate my brothers that said, you know, I'm sorry you didn't get more time with your dad. What else can they say? But they've said that to me many times. But it's this process here with this wrestling with these ideas here. You know, as I thought about it in that respect, I started to think, you know, out throughout grade school and junior high, my dad, again, as a sales engineer, he'd pull me out of school for a day. I'm like, you know, I don't have to go to school. No, you're going to go with me on a business trip. We'll go to a cool place to eat. He had some business to do, and then we'd come back. You know, he did that probably in the spring and the summer and in the fall, a few times a year. I didn't realize how cool that was, as I do now. But the few times that I got with that and spending that time with him. So I would just say to you as sons and daughters, if your dad is still alive, 
And you think back, or even if he's not, you think back about the time he took out of his schedule to include you. I love that idea. That's a picture of God wanting to be in fellowship with you, wanting to spend that time with you. It's a picture of God seeking to be with you, to fellowship with you. It's a picture of how God is like a dad in this picture. Of course, again, is framed by his great love. So let me ask a question as I wrap up here. Dads, what picture of God do your kids see? Most of the time. What's the picture you're setting for them? Is it one, as our story here looks at and says, hey, I'm giving them the right amount of free will to make their own choices and to live with those? Are, are you giving them unconditional forgiveness when they blow it? You don't bring it up again. It's been forgiven and you move on. Are you seeking that fellowship to spend time with them? You see, these attributes really come alive when you see it played out in real life. I saw it played out in real life, not realizing what was really going on. As I mentioned, my dad remarried. And while it was okay, towards the end of that, my dad's life with my stepmother, things didn't go so well for us kids with her in our relationship. My brother, one of my brothers had just graduated from high school and decides to go off to a concert on his own, doesn't tell my dad. He comes back, and my dad is upset about that. And I told my brother, wisdom of a fifth grader, if I were you, I would get out of here. Within 24 hours, my brother packed up all his stuff and took off. I can still see my dad's tears in his eyes as he's looking going, where's Andy? And I'm like, oh man, what do I say? I told him to leave because I see how this is going to work. This isn't going to work. So he takes off. He goes out to Colorado. We lived in Oregon at the time. No talk with my dad. You know, there's no texting. There's no cell. There's nothing. No communication. He has no idea where he is. About a year later, it's Christmas time. And it's Christmas Day. Phone rings. It's my oldest brother. He's doing postdoctorate work down in, in, in Houston, and my brother had gone down there for Christmas. And I don't know the details, but basically my older brother said, get on the phone and talk to your dad. And I could still see like it was yesterday, Christmas Day, and my dad's sitting back on the phone, and this smile comes over his face and says, hi, Andy. How you doing? I'm kind of like, How's this going to go? And then I remember that it was renewed back. And then in the last few months of my dad's life in the hospital battling cancer, there's my middle brother and my dad hanging out together. You see, I didn't realize what I was seeing (laughs) right there was that there's a picture of God that my dad gave him free will. My dad gave him unconditional forgiveness. Yeah, and in the last days of my dad's life, he wanted that fellowship 
with my brother and, and vice versa. So dads, what's the picture your kids are seeing through you today? Is it this picture of God who's like a dad? Man, we got work to do. May the picture they see be framed with great love that's permanent and it's abiding forever.